Man, okay. Hey, well, did you know that uh, one of the churches in Galatia was Antioch? That's our name. There you go. Four churches in South Galatia. Okay, well, my name is Billy Gifford, like Tyler said, and I'm the executive pastor on staff. Um, and <clears throat> I wasn't here last week. My wife and I, our little family, went up to my parents' lake house. They have a lake house in Marble Falls and celebrated Ooh. Father's Day there. So you didn't see us. But I realize uh, usually when I come up here, I just like, we just go in. Um, so uh, I'm not going to do that today. I'm actually going to slow it down and introduce my family to you. So I actually have a picture of my wife and my daughter coming up. There's Cheryl. So those of you who don't know, I'm not just some solo random guy showing up. I, I have a family. That's Cheryl and that's Adeline. She just turned three last week. Uh, we had a fun little pool party. Uh, and then my next, the next picture is of my son, Liam. He is literally the cutest kid you'll ever see. So enjoy that. So he's about one and a half. I don't know. I lose track when it comes to months, but he's, he's in there, one and a half-ish. So. Anyway, so if you've been tracking with us throughout the entire summer, you may have thought we were doing a series on Galatians. It's actually a series called Enthralled. And the whole purpose is not just about Galatians, but about loving the Word of God. And Galatians is just being one example of how we can open up and let the Word of God sharpen us. And so next week, like Tyler said, we're taking a break for 4th of July, and then coming back, we'll open up the book of Psalms go and continue this enthralled series. And we'll go through the entire book. It'll take three years, three-year series. <laughs> just kidding. We'll just finish out the summer. We're not going to do every book. That would take literally three years. So, um, But today we're going to finish up in Galatians chapter 6 and then kind of summarize Galatians. Uh, and and that'll, <clears throat> that'll be today. So if you want, you can turn your Bibles, open up to Galatians 6 and kind of track along. I'm literally going through it. Um, and I've broken this section down this chapter into two sections. Um, the first being titled Our Body and the second titled Our Boast. Um, and so last week, uh, if you were here, Tyler preached on Galatians chapter five and that emphasis of that chapter was really about the individual Christian's walk and how if you choose to walk by the spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And Paul, so Paul's put the Christian life in this picture of walking and what I want us to understand on the front end is that it's not you take one step and you're all right, and then you just ride the escalator to glory. But it's a walk in which you take a step and then another step and then another step and then another step. And so the question really is then, who gets to decide what's the next step I take? The law should not decide it. The flesh, your self-life should not decide it. But what Paul is saying in chapter five was the spirit of God should decide it. It's the spirit of God who should direct your steps and guide your path. And so chapter five is really about that private walk. It says in verse 16, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the deeds of the flesh. And so a man can either walk after the flesh and produce a pretty terrible list of works of the flesh, or he can walk by the spirit and produce this lovely fruit, the fruit of the spirit. And then in verse 25 of chapter five, he kind of repeats himself. And he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Now, this is not just actually him repeating himself. It's actually a different context and a different meaning. And uh, I just want to say, if, if I could break the chapters down the way it is, I would probably break chapter 6 right there in the end of verse, chapter, the end of verse 25. That's where I would start chapter 6 because it, it shifts gears. When he, and then Paul talks about this corporate walk as a body. And in fact, that second walk is, if you notice, it's we and us. Let us walk by the Spirit. And it's a different Greek word that actually means to march. 
to mean to keep in step with others, to march together, to not walk alone, but to walk with fellow soldiers, as you would. And actually, as I was thinking about this, it, it really, what came to my mind was, you know, not too long ago, Jimmy Seibert came, he's the, he kind of started the Antioch movement and preached this word called conscription and just how the Lord was calling us as a movement to be taken out of our ordinary daily life and to be conscripted into the battle of the Lord. And how if we are to be an army of, of God, an army of the Lord, we need to learn how to walk by the Spirit together in step with one another. And so what Paul is saying now in this, as he gets into chapter six, is very simply that the Spirit of God will teach you how to walk as a Christian, and the Spirit of God will teach you how to walk with other Christians. Because let's be honest, sometimes it's easy to love God. He's like very lovable. You know, he's very kind and he saved us. And it's like, oh, I can love God. And even sometimes it's, it's easier to love the lost or like our neighbor because you can just do like a one-off good deed and be on your way. And sometimes, uh, most times, it's hardest to love our own family. Because day in and day out, we got to deal with the shortcomings of one another. And we have to learn to adjust to one another. When my wife and I first got married, we would go for runs together, runs. Uh, and very quickly I learned, wow, if we're gonna run together, we both need to make some adjustments. And my adjustment turned into like, you know, a brisk walk. And, and Cheryl's adjustment was, you know, like a dead sprint. And so we, we made adjustments. <laughs> but Galatians 6 pulls out a few contrasts that I wanna, I wanna mention because it speaks of how we can walk together as one another side by side as one body in Christ. So let's dive in. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna read the, up to verse 10 of chapter six, starting in Galatians five, verse 25. It says this. If we live by the spirit, let us also walk by the spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying, envying one another. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Okay, so the first contrast I wanna pull out of this little section is that of pride versus humility. Pride and humility. And so in beginning to discuss how we can march together as one unit, the first thing Paul says is, don't boast. Mm -hmm. Don't get arrogant and don't challenge one another all the time. Don't be proud. You see, pride is like a master shapeshifter. It can take literally any form it likes. Yeah. Natural things such as looks or status or upbringing or musical gifting or oratory skills, eloquence, you name it, athleticism. Pride can take any shape. Speaking of athleticism, there's a funny verse in John chapter 20, verse four, where John is writing, some of y'all might know this, 
and he's talking about how him and Peter were racing to the tomb of Jesus. And he just slips it in there, just the eternal word of God, that he got there first. <laughs> he ran faster than Peter. Now, I'm not saying John was boasting in his athleticism. Obviously not. He was just reporting the facts. But I can, I'm sure Peter was just like, that's eternal word of God. You just, you had to write that. Like, but we can do that, right? So we can, we can take pride in our natural gifts, which we should not have pride, pride for because it's literally a gift. You did nothing to earn that. You were, it was given to you. But I want to mention that we can't be fooled into think it doesn't take a spiritual form as well. We can be proud in a spiritual way. For example, you can take pride in your own spirituality or your own outward holiness where you become an actual Pharisee and say, wow, I'm holier than thou. You can take pride in your prayers and how you sound. You can take pride in your prophecies or any other gift of the spirit you may be operating in. You can take pride in, in uh, your testimonies, that which you've experienced or even your own testimony, your expression of worship, you know, how high you can jump or how, I don't know, whatever. You can take pride even in your own humility and just boast that you're such a humble person. There's, there's kind of another funny verse. Uh, Numbers 12, verse three. I just want to read it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any person who was on the face of the earth. Now when you realize that was Moses who wrote that, <laughs> you start to wonder, but now again, Moses is reporting the facts. I'm sure that this is true. He was like the most humble person then. And I'm sure if he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write that, I can, I can visualize him like cringing, like Spirit of God, no, I don't want to write this. Like, but again, he was reporting the facts. But we can do that sometimes. <laughs> we, can, we can poison even humility with pride. It's like a quote from an autobiography that says this. My life has always been characterized by that humility, which is the mark of truly great men. <laughs> Very humble. But pride is a stench and it pushes others away. And it leaves room when we do that. If we're supposed to march in line as an army, it leaves room for the enemy to come in. And more than that, it makes you quite the target. <laughs> and so we can't take pride in anything. We can't boast in our natural things. We can't boast in our, boast in our spiritual things. Paul says, don't challenge one another. Who's going to be the greatest all the time? And don't envy one another, which is another form of pride. If pride says, I'm better than you and I know it, envy says, you're better than me and I resent it. Because deep down, I want to be better than you and I'm not and I'm embarrassed by that. So you're not going to catch me doing the thing that you're good at lest people compare us and see that I'm less than. You know, like, like this person has a gift of prayer in the life group and so I'm not going to pray because someone might compare our prayers and say, oh, that guy's a better prayer than me. It's pride. It buries the one talent because someone else has five. It's pure pride. <clears throat> And if pride is looking down, feeling good that you're up, humility is looking down and helping others up. And that's what Paul says here. He says, if one of your brothers or sisters in Christ is overcome by a sin, he's slipped on you know, one of the devil's banana peels, then you who are godly should gently and humbly lift him up, get him back on his feet, set him back on the right path, because it very well may have been you. It very well may be you the next time that needs a hand up. So be humble about it. Lift others up. Pride pushes others down, whether you know it or not. If you're proud, people are doing this. They can, they can smell it. But humility lifts others up. So pride feels good being up. Humility lifts others up. And if we're going to advance together as one army marching together, we have to be humble. 
It's not a competition. You know, when I'm running with my wife, it's not like, all right, baby, ready? Three, two, one. I'm not just like, taking off and then like looking back and like, ha, you're a little slow, aren't you? Like, I'm not boasting that. I, the goal is that we run together. I'm not racing against my wife, my wife. And we as Christians, we're not racing against one another. We're racing with each other. We run the race with endurance together. So we need to learn to adjust. So that is one of the contrasts, pride and humility. Another contrast in this little section of scripture is your burden versus my burden. Now, I don't know about you. When I first read this section, it looked like one of the most confusing pass, uh, like verses that Paul wrote in Galatians. Because he literally says in, in verse two, bear one another's burdens. And then two verses later, three verses later, he says, bear your own burden. <laughs> so which is it? <laughs> well, of course it's both. And so let's, let's dive in and try to understand the contrast between your load versus my load. And the first thing I want to mention is that a Christian can become overloaded, where they're overstrained and overburdened. And the church should take notice. The church is called to notice these things. And what Paul says is to what we're supposed to do, he doesn't say pray for them here. Of course, it's good to pray for them. But that's just not what he said here. He said, carry some of their load. This is much more practical and much more necessary. That if you see someone who's just got this burden on their shoulder, not to just say, bless you, I'm praying for you, and then walk away, but to actually say, hey, I'm your brother. Can I carry some of that on my shoulders? Can I carry some of that load? Like spread the load is the message Paul's saying here. Very practical. The mark of spiritual strength is that you can bear the loads of others. There's a verse in Romans 15, verse 1, that says, those who are strong ought to bear the weakness of those without strength. The mark of spiritual strength is you can actually bear a load of someone else. The mark of a baby is that babies can't lift any burden, right? They can't do that. So if I cannot love another brother in Christ the way Christ has loved me, then I'm nothing. Then I'm actually not that strong. Like 1 Corinthians 13, if I can have all the mysteries and knowledge, whatever, but if I have not love, I am nothing. And love looks like what Jesus did, he, he took our burdens. He carried it for us. And we can do that with one another. But the next thing that Paul says is that I'm also supposed to carry my own burden, my own load. <clears throat> and so again, when I think of this, I think of this army advancing forward together where each soldier has equipment, each soldier has weapon, uh, weapons, roles, responsibility, and their own load to carry. And what we need is a fellowship of Christians where every member carries their own load in this way their own responsibility. And then Paul says, this is something you can boast in. This is something you can take pride in. Not that you're comparing yourself with one another, but simply that at the end of the day, you can stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I've done all that I could. I gave everything to this cause. I gave everything to what you've called me to be, and I'm content. And you will, your heart will swell with pride when you hear him say in response, well done, good and faithful servant. You carried your load. You, you took full responsibility of your life. You bore the burden, well done. And so what the message is, is, is this. It's to discover your place in the body of Christ and give yourself fully to it. Give yourself fully to your, your role in the body of Christ. So if you're, if you're a knee in the body, then give yourself to being a knee. Help the body bend down and help the body walk and help the body run and jump and all these other things. Don't be upset. Don't bury your talent just because you're not the mouth or the eyes. We need one another. Every single part of my body has a function. And we work together. It's one body. 
I mean, this is what like the, the Own It initiative is about, right? If you're familiar, if you've heard the term Own It, it's about, wait, where, how can I own my place in the body of Christ? Yeah. It may not look like a ministry leader or something like that, but everyone has a role to play in this church. Yeah. It could be encouragement. Hey, I'm going to encourage someone via text today. It, it could be just literally worshiping at church. Hey, I'm going to be free. I'm, I'm going to play my role. And I'm going to be free to worship and allow others to, to catch on to that freedom. I mean, it could be going out to the community and praying for the gift of healing to start to see miracles. That, that could be your role. But what I'm saying is very simply is this. We all have a load to carry. Let's find out what that is and own it. And let's take ownership of it and, and carry it all the way. There's one more contrast in this little part of scripture that I want to mention, and that is sowing and reaping. Sowing versus reaping. Yeah, let's do it. Um, there's a, <laughs> there is this one verse kind of in the middle of these two sections that I, I mean, the way I broke it down, this is not how it is, but in my mind, I broke it down into these two sections of carrying one of those burdens as one section of contrast and then sowing and reaping. But then there's one verse in the middle and it's verse six. And it says this, the one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Okay. So is this scripture... Does that go into the first category of bearing one another's burdens? Or does that go into the second category of sowing versus reaping? Where does it belong? Um, and I would argue that it goes with the first one, bearing one another's burdens. Because the section of sowing and reaping talks about, goes into talking about your habits you develop and the character you develop. I mean, it could be both. But sowing and reaping, uh, Paul is not talking about, well, if you sow $100, you will reap $1,000 like some false prosperity preachers preach. That's not what he's saying. He very well may be saying, hey, just like we're carried to, called to carry each other's burdens, those who are taught the word of God help carry some of the burden of those teaching by financially providing for them. It's a simple message. We don't have to overcomplicate that. Okay, move it on. Paul's message about sowing and reaping is very straightforward. And that is, you will reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. It is a law of nature it's a law of human nature. We're, we're part of God's creation, right? And so he says, don't be fooled to think that you got away with sin and then thereby you can smirk at God and say, how oh, I got away with it. Just because God doesn't call you to account on like every other Friday doesn't mean you got away with sin. Don't be fooled. You will reap what you sow. You may not see it now, but you, it's coming. And so what have you sown in your garden these past few weeks? Well, I can tell you exactly what you will reap. I don't need to be a prophet to do that. If you've sown some corn, I don't need to wonder, is it going to be wheat or figs or watermelon? Like, no, it's going to be corn. It's very simple. In the same way, Paul says, if you sow to your old self, if you indulge in these lusts of the flesh, greed and envy and pride and all these things, then you are bound to reap a harvest of spiritual death. Your joy will be gone. Your peace will be gone. And why? Because you've sown to the flesh. And we know that in Romans 14, 17, it says, righteousness, peace, and joy are in the Holy Spirit. And so it's only when you sow to the Spirit that you get to reap peace and joy. It is true that uh, if a Christian sins, the penalty of sin is, you know, the separation, the broken fellowship from the Father is restored by forgiveness of sins. But the consequences of sins remains. This is a law of God that maybe we don't understand. But for, for example, the prodigal son, 
When he came back and repented, his, his estrangement from the father, the, his father was removed. He was reunited again. But the consequence of his living, he wasted his money. There was no getting it back. It was, it was, he wasted it. It was gone. And so when we sow, we will reap, whether good or bad. And every day by our thoughts, we are sowing a seed. By our deeds, we are sowing a seed. By our actions, by our, our attitudes, by our motives, by the plans that we make, the things that we're living for, we are sowing seeds every single day. What will you reap? Well, it's the seed that you've sown in the past that you're going to reap a little bit today, a little more tomorrow, and then a lot more in eternity. And the one, it says, the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life. The one who sows to the spirit will reap the very life of God. The life of Christ will begin to come forth from your life. But then Paul goes on to talk about another form of sowing and reaping. And that is through good deeds, through good deeds. Now here, Paul finally kind of brings a balance to this whole letter of faith versus works, right? Galatians was all about how works is not in the foundation of salvation. And it's by faith alone that you're saved. But what Paul is saying now here is that I'm not saved by good deeds, but I'm saved for good deeds. One of the hardest lessons to learn in Christianity is where good deeds fit. (laughs) Where does it fit? And there's a verse in Ephesians 2 that I'll read that kind of maybe brings the best balance of faith and works. Chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 8 through 10. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him so that we would walk in them. So Paul's saying we are called to good works. We are called to good deeds. Therefore, don't get exhausted. Don't get weary in doing good deeds. We will be tempted to give up in this area because we don't see immediate fruit. We live in a generation and in an age where it's like we literally want everything right now, like right now, instant gratification. And Paul is saying that's not, that doesn't how, that's not how it works with good deeds. It takes time to produce. Very rarely do you go out and sow a seed and all of a sudden fruit just boom, right there. It takes time. And so we, we can be tempted to give up. And Paul says, don't give up. Don't grow weary in doing good. You may be wondering, well, what does it really matter if I'm like doing this little good deed in the community? I'm helping this old lady cross the street. No one even noticed. She's so old, she already forgot. Like, what does it matter that I'm cleaning up the trash in the office and no one is taking notice? Is that good deed really like, I'm doing it again. Okay, I'm doing it again. Or, or like, I'm, I'm with the kids every day, all day, every day, all day, every day, <laughs> all day. I'm trying to do good, but I'm exhausted. And Paul is saying to you, don't grow weary. Don't give up. A harvest is coming. A harvest is coming. And we learn, I mean, we learn from Jesus. <clears throat> he was content to sow and to let others reap where he had sown. I mean, for three and a half years, he went around doing good. You know, Acts 10, 38. He did good in the community for three and a half years. And what was the result? He was left alone on the cross. Even his disciples abandoned him. But what happened seven weeks later on Pentecost? 3,000 were saved. We can't pretend that wasn't a result of Jesus sowing and doing good deeds for three and a half years. And in the same way, a congregation like this just going out into the community, doing good deeds, 
going into your homes and doing good deeds may not see immediate fruit, but one day we'll see a great harvest. You will see a great harvest one day. And one day you'll stand before God and maybe you thought that you were just part of a local church, just playing, doing your little good deed, playing your little role, no big deal, just your average nobody. Only to discover that your faithfulness and your endurance in, in doing good helped brought, bring a move of God on the earth that just transformed society. That without even fully knowing it, you were just playing your part, you were conscripted into the battle and you helped turn the war because you were doing that one good deed and you didn't give up. You just kept doing it. You kept doing good. You weren't like in the situation room strategizing. You didn't zoom out to the 80,000 foot view and see the whole picture. You know, I I think of the young man who stormed the beaches in Normandy on D-Day. They didn't know the whole plan. They were doing what they knew to do faithfully. Little did they know they would turn the war. And it's the same with us. I mean, we'll... We'll be there thinking it's only those big names and church leaders who get honored for the victory, only to realize that you're standing on that platform right next to everyone else, receiving that badge of honor for turning the war for that little small part you played that you call small. (laughs) So while we have the opportunity, let us not grow weary in doing good, especially to the household of faith. This is how we can be conscripted. When we work together as one body, marching in step better than any army on this on this earth. And that's actually how the world will know we're his disciples. So Paul's message about our body is, is that. <laughs> that, that, that concludes that section. So I wanna jump in. Oh, yeah, I'm just gonna go for it. Uh, the last part here about our boast, and I'll just kind of, we'll be quick and then we'll be done here. But he talks about uh, the last, this last little section, verse 11 through 18, and it, it kind of ends a little abruptly. Um, and some speculate that it was abrupt because Paul got so caught up in writing this like fiery letter to the Galatians that he literally got to the bottom of the scroll and was like, I don't have much paper left. I, I better sign off quickly and summarize his point. And so uh, let, me, <laughs> let me just read that real quick. <clears throat> Verse 11, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised. Simply, to, to, simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have the circ- you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But it, may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. I'll stop there. So what Paul is simply saying here is that he's kind of going, he's summarizing his point. He's going back to the beginning where he's saying all those teachers, those false teachers that are trying to convince you to be circumcised, they're just doing it because they want to boast that they have a lot of followers. They want to, they want to be popular with men. They don't want the persecution that might come if they admitted that it was the cross of Christ alone that could save. They didn't want that. They wanted the honor of men. And there is a boast to be found in the number of followers, right? We understand this. I mean, social media, I mean, even in church, we do this, how big your life group is or how many people you disciple. We can boast in such things. And Paul's response to that is, may it never be, which is literally the opposite of amen. Amen is let it be, Lord. He's he's saying the opposite, the anti-amen, like may it never be that I would boast in such worthless things. But what, what does he say instead? Instead, I will boast in the humiliation of the cross, meaning I will boast in the fact that of myself, I have nothing to offer to my salvation. 
that I have to come humbly before him and say, Jesus, would you rescue me? He would boast in the fact that on the cross, Jesus died for his sins and on the, the fact that Paul himself, the old Paul, was there with him. That Paul died and he was crucified as well. That is what we can boast about. <clears throat> you see, the purpose of the cross was not just forgiveness of sins. It was not just that you be forgiven and then move on with your life. It went well, well beyond that. That there might be this definite breaking of connection between you and the world. Just like it was with Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, his connection to the world was broken. And the world's connection to him was broken. And Paul says, by the way, that happened to me too. When Jesus died on the cross, I was there with him. And that, connect, that world connection that pulled me was broken. And it no longer had a grip on me. And what is the world? 1 John 2.16 says this. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. So the love for material things, that connection is gone once and for all through the cross. The desire for earthly pleasures is cut off. That desire for honor from men and to be esteemed by men is cut off. It's cut off at the cross. Your attachment to the world needs to be removed. And that's what Paul's saying. He's, like, he's saying, like, you, want to be, you want a circumcision? Here's the circumcision that you need. You need to cut off your attachment to the world and have that world's attachment cut off from you. That's what the cross does. It's a circumcision of our hearts, the one that matters. And so this kind of leads to the last contrast that I'll bring out, and that was the central issue of this letter. That's circumcision versus uncircumcision. And Paul's response to that is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is, are you a new creation? Are you in Christ? Have you been born again? Because if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The, the attachment to the, the old, the, the worldly pleasures, the honor of men, all that is gone. And the new things have come. Behold, the things of the Spirit. <clears throat> okay, I'll, I'll have the band come on up as I summarize. We'll wrap it up right here. Uh, I'm gonna zoom out just for these last few minutes as the band makes their way up and just give a quick overview of Galatians. So that was Galatians 6, but I, I, I wanna end, I don't wanna end the series just on that. I, I do wanna end it on kind of what Paul kind of summarized here is the main point, the main takeaway of the book of Galatians. And his message to the Galatians is actually very simple and it's this, freedom. His message is about true freedom. <clears throat> we mentioned at the beginning of Galatians that um, it has been dubbed the Magna Carta of spiritual emancipation. I believe Tyler mentioned it in one of his sermons. Um, and I wanna kinda uh, redub that into something we might understand a little bit better. And so I'm gonna call it the Declaration of Independence for Spiritual Liberty. <laughs> Next week is 4th of July. And you know, as Americans, we're gonna celebrate the signing of the Declaration of Independence, where the Continental Congress got together and said, that the 13 American colonies were no longer gonna be subject to the monarch of Britain. And instead, they were gonna be united in free states. The colonies were no longer going to be subjected to this outside rule, this outside law somewhere over there. And in the same way, Paul is saying, Christians, we should not be subjected to this outside rule of the law anymore. But it wasn't that the, the, the colonies declared independence from tyranny over there so that they could live in anarchy here in America. It's where it's like, ha, no more, no more rules, we're free. And it, it would be chaos. It would be absolute chaos.
but they, they, they declared their freedom from them in order to establish and live according to a new law. And in the same way, Christians are not freed from the law that we can live in anarchy and just say, oh, we can do whatever we like, but that we would live according to a new law, the law of the Spirit. And so Galatians is about who is gonna lead us into that true freedom. Where can we find that true freedom? We will either be led by the law into legalism, or we'll be led by, the, by our flesh into license, or we'll be led by the Spirit into liberty. It will be one of those. And we're called to walk a narrow road, and Paul's message is that there are two dangers on each side of the Christians, this narrow road that we're walking. You know, last week when I was tr driving to the lake house, you know, it's the hill country, it's beautiful. Uh, and some of those hills were like, those hills were like, they had to dynamite to build a road, you know? Uh, and on one side, it's just like the rock, but on the other side, it's this beautiful view of the hills, but also a cliff. And I just thought it was such a great picture of the message Paul's bringing in Galatians. That on one side, you have this, this hard, rigorous rock that is the law that causes me, enslaves me to a rigorous and hard life. And on the other side is this cliff, the flesh, where it's free fall. And I'm enslaved to something even worse than the law, myself, my own passions and desires. And so one trap is to, to fall into rules and regulations. And the problem is, and the trouble is that when we start talking, when Paul starts talking about, you know, the, the trap of the law, then people by reaction fall over the cliff. And that's not freedom. That's a worse kind of slavery. And if legalism brings you into slavery to others, license to sin, that I, I can do what I want, brings you into slavery to yourself. And that is far worse. <clears throat> so true liberty is letting the spirit of God lead you. And he says, we're set free, not just to, we're not just set free to be free on our own, but rather we're actually set free, like it says in Galatians 6, to love one another, to carry one another's burdens. We're actually free to we can serve one another in humility and gentleness and love God with all our hearts. That is true freedom. It's not the freedom to sin, it's freedom not to sin. True freedom is freedom not to sin. And that's only found by the spirit of God. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And so if we're gonna be a conscripted church, if we're gonna really storm the gates of hell together, we have to learn to walk by the Spirit individually and corporately. We have to learn to link arms and march forward, advancing on the gates of hell together. Just like I said in uh, Acts 10.38, Jesus went around doing good, but he also, it also says he went around destroying the works of the devil. And we can do the same if we link arms in the Spirit. So I want you to go ahead and stand up. We'll wrap up here. If I could get a few uh, leaders to come on up for prayer. And the way we're gonna end is, is very simple, but I just want you to think of that word freedom and just ask the Spirit of God and say, Lord, am I free? Am I free from the law? Am I doing something that I'm only doing because I was kind of pressured by church to do? And so it's become a law and it's not life-giving anymore. Maybe it's time with God, which is a great thing to do, but now it's become a law. Or I'll ask on the other side, say, have I taken too much freedom where I'm like so loosey-goosey that I get nothing done and I'm actually not advancing in my, in my walk with the Lord? Very simply, ask the Spirit of God to fill you again. When the Spirit of God fills you, He will lead you. And when you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Some of you have been wondering, how do I be free from X, Y, Z? 
the Spirit of God will lead you to freedom. It's only by His Spirit. So if you need prayer for anything like that or anything else, come on up. These guys will pray for you. And I'm going to pray right now. So Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us true liberty, that we don't have to be bound by the laws. We don't have to be bound by our own flesh. But rather, we're bound by the law of love, by the law of the Spirit, to follow you, to love you, to love one another as Christ has loved us. Jesus, we thank you that you have called us to be a conscripted people, taken out of our ordinary uh, positions or whatever it is that we're doing, but called for the purpose of war, called to battle together against the schemes of the enemy. And Lord, we trust that if we faithfully play our part, whether it's just a small word of encouragement or worship or prayer, whatever it is, Lord, that you will bring about a move of God that we've never seen before. But Lord, it, be long, it begins with just being faithful with the little. So help us, Holy Spirit, to trust you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.